This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Welcome to Connecting Disability on AMI Audio. I'm Megan Gilmore, and I'm so happy you've decided to begin the new year with us. But to state the obvious, the past few years haven't been too great, and 2022 may just look like more of the same for you. That's why I'm so thankful for this month's guest, Claire Lee. Claire knows a lot about what happens when pain and change are always part of our everyday lives. Claire has lived with various autoimmune diseases for most of her life and received a hip replacement when she was in her early 30s. A few years later, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. She joins us to talk about what joy looks like in the middle of disability and cancer. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, Claire. Thanks so much for joining the show today. Hi, Megan. Thank you so much for having me. There's many reasons why I'm excited to have you, but one of them is that many of the people we've spoken to so far on the show kind of have a bit of a public persona or they've written a lot about disability. You haven't built that up as much yet, which is very exciting. Just talk to a normal person. What prompted you to tell your story about disability publicly? You're pretty accurate. I never did talk about my stuff too much, mostly because I never thought that I had a specific story to share. I do average things and I do average living, if you will. I've always wanted to work towards making differences in the world. So when I was diagnosed with cancer, I started writing a blog and that blog really was more for making sure that I got all my friends around the world on the same page about what I was dealing with and to be able to share that news. I realized that after a while, they were telling me, this is really interesting. This is a different way to see certain things. And I realized that if my goal is to help people and if someone could take my writing and my situation to help propel themselves forward, then maybe I can help somehow. You mentioned the cancer diagnosis. So I was actually just wondering if you wanted to start there. Tell us about what your experience has been like with cancer. I got diagnosed on November 1st, 2018. I was diagnosed with estrogen and progesterone positive, her negative breast cancer. I went through about 10 rounds of chemo and then I had a bilateral mastectomy. And shortly after the mastectomy, I ended up with a operating room infection. From there, I ended up having to remove one of my implants that I had. So I had reconstruction right away. The day after that, I was told that I needed a axial lymph node dissection, which means that some of the cancer cells has escaped through my lymph nodes. So I had that done. And then I went through 25 rounds of radiation. It was a lot to go through, coupled with the fact that I have a few invisible disabilities. Well, first, I just wanted to say I'm really glad that you're here and able to tell us your story. First, how did disability influence just your reaction to the initial diagnosis? My reaction to the initial diagnosis was like, ugh. Here we go again. (laughs) I have psoriatic arthritis, which is an autoimmune arthritis, and it usually impacts some people that have psoriasis, which is a skin condition. I also have ankylosing spondylitis, which is another autoimmune condition that affects the inflammation in your spine, as well as 
Sometimes it affects your internal organs and sometimes it affects your eyes. For me, it's a lot in my lower spine and it also affects the top part of my neck. And then psoriatic arthritis kind of takes care of all the rest of my joints. One of the major differences is that it's inflammation that kind of breaks down your joints as well too. It's not just causing a little bit of pain or anything like that. It actually works to destroy your joints a bit. I also have different treatments and drugs that are used to give me a bit more of a normalized living situation where I can walk without pain or as much pain or have less eruptions on my skin and stuff like that. So when we took into account at the very beginning of my cancer diagnosis and going in for chemo, one of my biggest questions was, I know that we all have to do chemo in order to help eradicate the cancer, but how does that affect the rest of what I'm doing? How does that interact with my medication? How does all of this play together? And one of the key things that I sort of found out as I was doing cancer treatment was that not a lot of people think about these other things. And the answer of why I only did 10 chemo sessions instead of the 16 that I was technically prescribed to do is that it actually affected my other conditions in such a manner that I couldn't keep going with it. So it almost seemed like there's this idea either in the medical world or just society in general that you either have a disability or you have cancer. Like you don't have both at the same time and you don't have to manage two different regimes of medication at the same time. In some cases, I had really good doctors that will take those things into consideration. For me, having cancer was very eye-opening to understanding my own role in managing my situation. A lot of my cancer doctors, they're very knowledgeable in fighting the type of cancer I have. And then on the other side, I have a rheumatologist who's very knowledgeable about fighting the autoimmune arthritis in general and you, you really start to understand that when you have multiple complex issues, that you are then the person that has to be the expert for yourself to have to ask those questions because each set of doctors are very much focused on what they do best. You get to be the person who brings it all together and talks about how this is happening in your body. Yes. One of the things about being that person that manages all of these things together is that you're also the person that is emotionally experiencing cancer and emotionally experiencing the flare-ups that come along with managing the different types of autoimmune conditions. I did personally find it very difficult to be the person that keeps marching forward, making all the considerations, as well as going through all my feelings emotionally about what's happening, but then also going through the pain as well of what's also happening. And there's two different types of pains. One is going through chemo, which in itself, it can be a very tiring experience. But on the other hand, dealing with flare-ups and watching all my joints kind of explode in size and everything like that, there's a certain amount of pain that comes through with that too. And then the last part of it all was watching my psoriasis erupt at the same time. You're really having to be the advocate for yourself. What was it like telling your friends and your community about the cancer diagnosis? And how was that experience different from the ways that you've dealt with your disabilities throughout the rest of your life? My disability kind of came about when I was really young. 
it was between really between the ages of eight or nine and 12. And because they're invisible for the most part, back then, I never really thought about myself having a disability. So it was just like I had arthritis and I never even really dug into it too, too much. And it was just a thing that I had. So I never really talked about it. And it wasn't until I became a teenager where people were like, oh, did you hurt yourself? Do you have a limp? Little did I know at that specific point in time in my life that those words would carry on up until November 1st, 2016. I was told that whatever pain that I feel in my body will always be attributed more or less to arthritis. So if my hands hurt, if my legs hurt, if my knees hurt, whatever it is, if anything hurt, it was just like, okay, well, that's the arthritis and we're just going to move on from that. And so I did. And so whenever people asked me, I was kind of like, that's super weird. Like, why, why do people ask me this all the time? It wasn't really until I moved to Montreal and I had my rheumatologist that I have now. And I was like, listen, I'm not walking very well. And he's just like, well, you know what's wrong, right? And I was like, no, I have no idea. And he showed me an x-ray and he's just like, basically your left leg is getting shorter. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's just like, there's a significant discrepancy in the length of your legs. You have osteonecrosis of of your femur. The top part of your femur died. And I was just like, no, (laughs) like, no, not on top of having arthritis. At that particular point in time, I just didn't think, could I actually have layers of issues upon each other? That was really eye-opening and it was actually a good turning point for me because it started forcing me to learn a little bit more about my situation, my disabilities, like what's actually going on here? What does it mean to have psoriatic arthritis? What does it mean to have ankylosing spondylitis? That's a great story. I know for me and for other people who either we've were born with our disabilities or we've had them for so long, it just becomes your normal. You don't think, oh, this is something that I should actually learn about and study so I can figure out how to make my life work the best because you're like, oh, it's always been this way. Yeah. And and it's crazy because then all of a sudden those words started to grate on me a little bit like, oh, did you hurt yourself? Did you hurt yourself? I just heard it every single day. After a while, I didn't really know how to answer that question anymore. It's like, well, if I say no, it's the honest truth. But Mm -hmm. the explanation of why I'm limping then becomes longer. And so I had to learn what went wrong what I think could have gone wrong and what I don't know, but then also determine how do I fix this? And that how do I fix this became this quest that I had for multiple years. And how to fix that was really getting a hip replacement. When you're young and you need a hip replacement though, it becomes really difficult. I went and saw more than 30 orthopedic surgeons to try to get my situation fixed. And what I discovered was that if you're to get a hip replacement done, at some point in time, you'll need a revision or you'll need some sort of change if that replacement doesn't work out for you. A lot of doctors are really, they weren't not interested, but they just, they don't want to create additional problems for future Claire. But what ended up happening was that present day Claire wasn't able to walk any longer and wasn't able to move as well as she wanted to. I started losing the ability to walk. I started to lose the ability to ride a bike. I started to have pain every single night. The craziest part of all of that was at no point did I think, why don't I get something to help with my mobility? Why don't I get a mobility aid like Mm -hmm. a cane? 
And it just never dawned on me until like somebody says, why don't you get a cane? And I was like, hold on a second. If I get a cane, what does that actually mean? I had a mental hurdle to get over. It went from having an invisible disability to having a visible disability. I finally did it because I was traveling a little bit more. I wanted to see the world a little bit more. And I guess the trip that really impacted me for that was going to Japan and walking around with a couple of my friends and realizing I couldn't walk around as much as they could. And I had this moment where my dreams felt like they were being dashed a little bit. So I ended up getting a cane and my trip after that was to Istanbul and I walked around so much. There was still a bit of pain at at the end of my day, but it was so much easier to get around. I ended up really embracing my cane for a very long time after that. Sounds like when it came to your invisible and invisible disabilities, your first reaction was, I'm going to manage this on my own as much as I can for as long as I can. And then it was a slow, like a slow journey to accept a mobility device and, and the recognition that comes with that. When you got a cancer diagnosis, how how did you respond to that? Was it still the, I need to take care of this myself? Or was it easier for you to say, hey, everyone, I need some help right now? Just to backtrack a little bit, I had my hip replacement done and I went cane-free I rehabilitated myself. Everything kind of kicked off on November 1st, 2016. Exactly two years from November 1st, 2016 was my cancer diagnosis on November 1st, 2018. Between 2016 to 2017, there was a year of really getting myself the treatment I needed to be able to walk better again, because I had gone so long with walking in a specific manner. So I really had to get a lot of physiotherapy done. I still do physiotherapy today for it, but there was a certain amount of work that I was putting in to be able to get back and access my mobility in the best way I could. When I discovered that I had a lump in my breast, it was almost a year after. Part of me was just like, okay, well, shoot. (laughs) And then I kind of did some internet looking at, and I was just like, well, they say a lot of times the lumps will go away. So that was my first initial hope. It was a little bit of denial and I didn't say anything to anyone at all that I was feeling this way. Then I noticed this lump growing a little bit and I was still somewhat in denial because I was like, I just did this big surgery and it was supposed to be this breakthrough year for me. And it was all I was doing, all these new things again. And I was doing all these great things and I didn't want that to stop. So I put it aside and I gave myself a deadline of when to talk to people and when to talk to my doctor about this. I needed to have that time to really think about it first. I did. I gave myself one last trip to get out of it. And of course, one last trip became like three last trips to get out of, get get myself in mind space of I'm going to potentially do this. And then the entire time I was thinking, but you know what, it could, it could be totally nothing. It could absolutely be nothing. And I got the appointment for October 16th. And I kind of let him know, I think I have a lump in my breast. And he kind of had this alarming look and he sent me right away to an appointment in the hospital. I went and I went through all this stuff and then it was November 1st, 2018. I was working on a project at work and I was in a meeting room. My phone rang and it said unidentified caller with no caller ID, which now I know is a sign that someone from the hospital is calling me. I knew I needed to pick it up, but 
I just figured, okay, no big deal. I'll just excuse myself from the meeting room. I walked out into the hallway at work and I answered and he basically let me know that my cancer diagnosis is confirmed and I realized that I was in the middle of the hallway while I was walking around at work and my brain was exploding and I'm like running into the bathroom but there's people in the bathroom I kind of felt like I had nowhere to go so I went back into my meeting room and I had four of my colleagues there I was bawling I was just absolutely bawling and they all I don't think knew what was going on because I actually didn't say anything to anyone It was kind of crazy. And at that particular point in time, I still hadn't told my family yet. I hadn't even told myself that this could be real yet. So it was, there's a lot of emotions and a lot of thinking and a lot of what do I do? And on top of everything, it was the exact same day as my my hip replacement. A little funny thing that I was doing for the last couple of years, like 2017 and 2018, was that I'd have a little mini celebration on November 1st for my hip operation, just to kind of be celebratory about it. Mm-hmm. And I had actually planned one for that night. And I was meeting all my friends at the bar. <laughs> and I'm crying at work. And I basically decided I'm just going to pull my bootstraps up and and get it together and put on my happy face and, you know, remember that there's still something to celebrate. And so I let myself cry for about an hour and a half. Then I went to the bar and I celebrated the fact that I had a hip operation that allowed me a little bit more freedom. What did you do after the next day after you come home from the bar and the celebration's over? I actually didn't cry a whole lot after that. I kind of just said, you know what, it is what it is. And I gave myself this idea that if I was able to pull myself together and put on a happy face, and I actually did enjoy myself at the bar, I actually did enjoy the company that was there. Like most of them had zero idea that I'd just gotten this diagnosis like maybe an hour earlier. Some of them did know, some of them didn't. I kind of told myself, like, what actually changed? Aside from like this phone call where they told me that I had cancer, like it's confirmed. I had most likely, you know, I kind of revisited the idea. I had cancer most likely when I first found the lump and I did all those things and I continued living and I continued having a honestly a very normalized life and did everything I wanted to do. Then here I am. And the only difference is that somebody told me. Somebody did a test, somebody did a biopsy, and they definitely confirmed it is breast cancer. But all in all, I was still working. I was still joking around with my friends and I was still laughing. And so I kind of just tied myself together a little bit and just said, well, what's actually changed? And I realized nothing has except for someone confirming it. Everything else was the same. Are there any skills that you've acquired through having your disabilities that have helped you deal with cancer? I didn't recognize that I had a disability until much later on in life. I find having what I lived through made me who I am and it made me understand a little bit more about what are all the extra considerations that I have to make to live life on an everyday basis, I guess. And Overall, having the disability, I think, gave me a solid way to deal with cancer better. One of the ways is that nothing actually changes. I have to take a certain regime of medication and injections to help deal with my autoimmune conditions. Doing cancer treatment is sort of the same thing. Here's another path of things that you need to do. 
overall, if you look at every little thing individually, it seems like a lot. Take pills at this time, do injections on this day, set schedules for that, go to a hospital, do blood tests, do x-rays, do MRIs, do CT scans, blah, blah, blah. Like all of it individually is a lot. But all of them packaged together is basically the way that I live and it allows me to live and do the things I want to do. I kind of been able to package everything in terms of goals. These are the goals I want to achieve. I still want to travel despite the pandemic, but I'm not yet because of the pandemic. I still want to help people and I still want to have my independence and work. And I also want to have great food in my life and, and laugh a lot and meet people. So those are my goals. Then I look at all the things that I'm doing in terms of pills, injections, hospital visits, scans, etc. They're part of the toolkit that allows me to do the things I want to do. And by being able to examine it as a whole and not piece it out individually, it has really allowed me this to think about these things as no big deal because these are the things that allows me to do the things I want to do to accomplish the goals I have. I know that's actually really helpful for me because I do know people who right now their cancer does require a lot of different medications or a lot of different doctor's appointments. And I'm always like, how do they actually remember the order of all this? <laughs> what would you say to people like me who were on the side of this where we're the friend or we're the family member or potentially you're a caregiver to somebody who's just been diagnosed with cancer or another similar illness? Is there anything that you would like us to know about what it's really like to live with this diagnosis that can help us be better friends, better relatives? Everyone will react to the news in their own way. One of the really great things that I find that my friends do for me is I, I actually tell them this all the time. Please don't ask me how I'm feeling. Don't ask me, how are you? And if I say I'm fine, don't try to keep digging. <laughs> no, how are you actually? No, like, how are you feeling? Like, I absolutely hate those questions because for the most part, I find that I'm pretty much an open book. If you ask me how I'm doing and if I say to you, oh, like everything sucks, then I feel like you should know how I feel. And it not necessarily has anything to do with my cancer right now. It has not necessarily anything to do with an autoimmune condition flare up or anything like that. I could just generally been having a terrible day. But I find that a lot of people, once they find out that I have cancer, they try to suss it out. Like, how, how do you feel about cancer today? And then next week, it's like, well, how do you feel about cancer now? And it's just like, I feel exactly the same. <laughs> if you have the capacity to be the friend that goes with them to appointments, and you really have to assess this about yourself, do I actually have the capacity mm -hmm. to do this? If you can be that friend, make that offer. Because for me, it was instrumental. It was really instrumental. And I don't really enjoy asking for help often. But when I had friends that offered or volunteered to do it, it's a lifesaver for me. Like I said, when you have all these things going on in your head and you're also the person experiencing it emotionally, that news barely hits you in the right way. I know we didn't really touch on it in overall, but I was diagnosed with recurrence in the summertime this year. So I now have metastatic breast cancer and I tried my best to do it on my own because I really thought that, well, I already went through a cancer diagnosis and I had all my friends and I had I know how to deal with this now. And I really tried to do that on my own because I just figured I can't really force more people during the times of pandemic to go through this emotional 
roller coaster with me again. And I already did it. So I'm a veteran at this. So I should be able to do it again. Well, the answer is, is that no, I wasn't. And I now have a friend again with me, same friend who assessed her own capabilities. Can I be this person for her? Because the answer is, is that if it's a well-meaning gesture, but you don't have the emotional space or the ability to do it, it also isn't helpful to you. And it isn't helpful to the person that needs it. If you take a look at what can you offer, then kind of offer that. If it's just somebody that checks in on somebody once in a while, because that's the only emotional space that you have, that's still a great thing. But for the actual person that was just diagnosed, give yourself time, give yourself space to process. If you need to cry it out, or if you can't feel it, it'll come at some point in time. But just, I don't feel like there's anything to force. We have two questions that we ask every guest in this show. But before we go there, I have a few quick lightning round ones. You mentioned okay. you mentioned traveling. If you were able to go anywhere right now, give me your top three places. Japan, Istanbul, and Portugal. And then, uh, Claire, I know you are a lover of good food. And I believe one of the <laughs> foods you love is dumplings, right? You, you, you make them. Yes, I did. So for those of us who would like to learn how to make dumplings, do you have any advice of where we can go to start our dumpling making journeys? Definitely YouTube is a great place to learn how to make it. The filling is the easiest part, in my opinion, because you can kind of make dumplings out of anything. But then it's all about how do you fold them and how do you seal them in a way that the flavor sticks in, the juices don't fall out, and that the dough is pliable enough for you to 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 hold in that goodness, if you will. So I always recommend YouTube because they have different people there that make dumplings in, in their own specific ways, their own specific folds, et cetera. But that, I always find that that's a really great place to start. Or if you have a friend that makes dumplings already, you can always learn from them because they will give you that in-person demo. Claire, one of the things that we always like to ask us is right now, and like, like you do have a lot of really great things going on in your life. Uh, I understand that like disability in general and then cancer in general, and then the two of them combined, that can be fairly isolating at times. So I was just wondering for you right now, what are some of the more isolating parts of living with a disability and cancer? The most isolating parts is the combination of having both the disabilities and cancer. And also I am up for yet another surgery. So these things keep popping up. The most isolating part is still having to coordinate all of these things together. And to do it during the pandemic is definitely super different. It doesn't mean that my friends aren't calling. It just with everything that's happening, I find that the medical system in general isn't really built for people that have multiple complex issues. I just find it super isolating to coordinate this stuff on your own. The nicest part about it is I can always call a couple of friends and we can get together and hash it out on the phone. In these moments, what has connection with other people looked like for you? What are the ways that you're finding to connect? I thought a lot about connection all throughout my surgeries and my cancer treatment. The most meaningful connections I have had were coming from people that are able to like let me feel things without trying to cheer me up or feel sorry for me. I don't want to be a hero and I don't want to be this sad person that you're just like, ugh, my heart is breaking for that person. The people that have been the best for me are people that 
can keep up with the pace of conversation I have. They rally when I rally. They recognize when I want to laugh, they'll make me laugh. And when I want to cry, they'll let me cry. And they'll let me talk about anything that I want to talk about without panic. But I realize that I have to cultivate and develop a lot of my friendships to get to the point in where I need them and where I find that they're most helpful to me. My friends that have the most genuine desire or capacity to actually help me, that want to listen to me and learn from me. And the ones that recognize that they don't have any answers, they've never experienced anything else like what I'm experiencing, but they're willing to go through it with me anyways. Well, Claire, I just want to say thank you for sharing your experience with us. And I'm fairly confident that this will do what you wanted it to do, that this will help somebody wherever they are in their journey of disability or cancer or anything else with that. That's amazing. Well, I I really do hope that, like you were saying, this is my first podcast. So I'm kind of pumped about doing this. And uh, thank you so much for having me. Like I said, if you asked me a year ago, I don't know that I would necessarily been here to do this. But now that I'm here, it's been super fun. And uh, thank you. Connecting Disability is a production of AMI-audio. It's written and produced by me, Megan Gilmore. Nizreen Abdel-Majid is the technical producer. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. Special thanks to Claire Lee for sharing her story with us. This episode is dedicated to three women who have taught me so much through their journeys with cancer. First, to my Aunt Cindy, who has lived with blood cancer for several years. And second, to her sister Wendy, who died of a brain tumor when she was a child. And finally, this is dedicated to my late grandmother, Bernice Gilmore, Cindy and Wendy's mother, who lived with cancer for the first 30 years of my life and taught me so much about faith, endurance, and hope. I love you, and I can't wait to see you again. She never got to hear this podcast, but if I've said anything useful on it, there's a good chance it's because of her. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We'll connect next time. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.